Hey everybody, welcome to Not Your Mom's Podcast. Hit the intro music. Hello everybody, this is Not Your Mom's Podcast. I'm your host Bob, aka Mr. Incredible, aka Incredible Hulk, aka Dr. Frankenstein's Secret Creation. Now this episode is going to be a special episode because it's going to feature a recording I did with my best friend from college, Ryan, and when I went to visit him in Kansas City, I put some recording equipment up, told him that we were going to record. He said, sure, I guess, and we didn't know what we were going to talk about, but we just let the mic record it and we started talking, so this is part one of that beautiful interview I have with my buddy Ryan. So, without further ado, here it is. Oh my god. I can't believe you just poured us some wine. That is seriously about the ambiance. Yeah, fix that picture. That picture is important. All right. Mi abuelo, mi abuelo, mi abuelo. All right. So, this is a special episode of Not Your Mom, Mom's Podcast. Um... Thank you for joining us. Um, I'd like to introduce one of my best friends, Ryan Gardner. Pleasure to be on the show today. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. I appreciate the wine. You really, um, that came from a fancy box wine, I can see. I yeah, really, yeah. It's, uh, it's a Merlot. Tell me more about it, yeah. Black box. Okay. Um, it's a uh, top shelf Walmart boxed wine. Oh my God. I'm really glad you went all out for me. I really do appreciate that. Um, we're actually in his basement. We call it, Do you call it the man cave? Do you have a name for this? Uh, no, just the man cave. The grotto? Do you call it the grotto? <laughs> I do now. Okay, the grotto. the grotto. We're in the grotto. There's a, there's a lot of great things about it. There's a map next to us. Looks like those are, is that, that's the map of all the places you've been, correct? Correct, yeah. So um, I think the count said 34 <laughs> countries and 28 states. Nice. Weren't you setting up yourself for a challenge, which um, was to hit 30 countries and before 30 wasn't that a challenge that you set for yourself yeah that was uh my main bucket list goal was to hit 30 countries before i was 30 and so i just turned 30 in march and so i actually made it to all 34 before i hit 30 all 34 are there only 34 countries in the world the 34 that i've been to okay (laughs) the 34 that you set out to accomplish i did four bonus countries basically you did four bonus countries so what kind of places have you been I've been to all of Central America. Mm, that's really good wine. Good, good. Uh, four countries in South America, quite a few places over in Europe, Eastern Europe, um, Southern Africa. Wow. Yeah. You've gotten around. Looks like you haven't done much of Asia. I have not. So India and Saudi Arabia are the only two that would technically count for Asia. And when did you go to Saudi? Saudi was 2008. That was with the Air Force. Um, and then uh, India was just last fall. Yeah, that's pretty impressive that you were in the Air Force and got to you know serve our country. I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Nice. That's when I first met you. When I first met you, that was uh, kind of what you were into and something that really um, caused a, 
a growth in our friendship as you left. As soon as I like, I got to meet you, you had to leave and you were deployed and that was kind of hard, but it allowed for us to create a whole new level of our friendship. And speaking of traveling together, that's where we went to Nicaragua and got to spend a week in Nicaragua. Yeah, yeah. So after I graduated from college and got out of the Air Force, I moved down there for about a year. Um, and I think I was about eight months in or so when you came down to visit. Mm-hmm. So we hung out at the orphanage that I was teaching English at and then um, ended up going down to San Juan to the little surf, surf town with a couple of the other volunteers at the orphanage. And it was a blast. It was a blast. What else has the significance of Nicaragua? Is there something else that makes Nicaragua pretty special? Yeah, so I actually met met my now wife while I was living down there. She was not one of the orphans, just lived close <laughs> to the orphanage. <laughs> No, she was not. Just want to get that on right. Yeah, that's actually a good distinguishing thing you should explain. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we ended up dating that whole time. And then when I moved home, we did the fiance visa to get her up here. And then we dated up in Minnesota, or, or we got married up in Minnesota, where I'm from. And then um, a little bit after that, moved to Kansas City. And that's where we've been for the last couple of years. And now we have a beautiful little girl. Little Mimi. Yeah. Oh, she's absolutely gorgeous. I think it's super interesting that to be at the very beginning of any one of your friends' relationships as they turn into a marriage and, you know, matrimony and having a kid together, it's kind of crazy to be at the very start of it. So, like, I remember you coming back and being like, dude, there's this girl I met. We were going on a tour, and the, the woman that was taking us, me and my mom, couldn't speak English, so her daughter came, right? Her daughter came, and then she's the one who translated, and so that's how you met her, and you guys kind of just started talking and getting to know each other, and how did it, like, escalate from there? Yeah, well, yeah, so even the way that we met each other was crazy. So my mom and I had gone down to Costa Rica for a week, and one of the tours that they offered was we could go across the border up into Nicaragua overnight, and so... We're like, all right, sweet, yeah, sign us up. Well, they're like, well, you need to have four people to go on this. Well, it was just the two of us, so we're going around asking random people at the hotel if they want to come with, and nobody does. So finally, I asked God, I'm like, look, man, is there any way that we can make this work? And so he's like, let me see what I can do. Well, it ends up we paid a little bit more, but he did make it work. So we get in the Jeep the next morning. Driver can't speak any English at all. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. So we drive to this town. This woman jumps in, again, can't speak any English at all. And I'm like, okay, this is super weird now. So we get to the border and we're going across. And I remember looking over at my mom and being like, I'm so sorry, mom. Like, this is this is how people get their kidneys cut out. Like, And so I was kind of freaking out a little bit. So we get across the border. We get back into another different vehicle and we head north. And we get to Rivas, which is a pretty decent sized city there. And... We stop at this random corner, and all of a sudden, the back door swings open. So here I'm going, oh, shit, our kidneys. This is how it happens. But no, Ian jumps this beautiful young woman, and I was like, holy hell, this took a turn that I'm not, you know, upset about. And turns out that what had happened was my now wife, Steph, Steph worked at that hotel before this all had happened, and so the hotel director knew Steph's mom, so he called her to do a tour. Well, Steph's mom obviously knows her, so she called Steph to translate the tour. So all this was already, like, happening, but it was just randomly, you know, I jumped in the right tour at the right time, and now we're married. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That is so intense. So as he's telling me about this, like, that was the best part about it, as I'm hearing all these beautiful things about this, all this, I'm like, 
Sounds cool. Sounds promising. And so you're like chit-chatting on the phone and that stuff. And then eventually you plan to go visit her so you can just have a special time with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that whole first part happened August of 2011. I went back down there to visit just her for a week in October of 2011. Is that when you figured out like this was going to be something serious? Like at yeah. first it may have been like, this is fun, but was that like kind of what sealed the deal for you? Yeah. It was that second trip. I was like, this is definitely something that I need to pursue and I'd already been thinking about moving abroad and teaching Eng- English abroad at that time. And so I was like, why not just throw this other country into the hat now and just see if something sticks? So I Googled teaching jobs down there and there was an orphanage that had a posting. So I applied and I got a call back and I interviewed with them and I went through the TEFL certification, which only took like 90 days or something like that. And so from... October to December, I decided I'm doing this. So I quit my job. Um, I was working at IBM at the time. I quit my job. I'd just gotten out of the Air Force and I packed two duffel bags and a backpack and I moved down there and we began dating. And this is the, the scariest but best decision I've ever made. And isn't that true? Like the biggest, most riskiest things we do usually end up with the most life changing results that mm-hmm. lead us to exactly where we're at. You know, because growth happens in the uncomfortable spaces that make us like twinge a little bit, puckers your butthole a little bit. But, you know, it's because you believe in it. Your heart's telling you that this is the right thing to do. That's what you do it. No fear, no nothing. So it's in favors the bull. It's true. So it's kind of cool that you did that. And most people like you hear about long distance relationships in a same state. And they're like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not willing to really try. And you moved to another country to see if there was a future with this woman that you loved and it ended up being exactly what you wanted to. And because you moved, I was, you know, again, heartbroken as you left because we became closer and closer. And then I was given the opportunity to come visit you. Like that was the first time I ever left the country was for you. And I don't think I would have if it wasn't for I knew somebody who was overdoing some amazing things that I've like teaching English to orphan, like that was super inspiring. And that moved me to the core to like inspire me to do the same. So I got my passport and traveled and spent a week out there with you and had some amazing stories. And to then meet this, you know, beautiful woman that you were talking about and just see it at the early stages, like I said, grow into what it is now today. Mm-hmm. Well, and the cool thing about your trip too was you got to do what any other tourist down there would do, which is all fine and good. But you also got to ride on the chicken bus with with uh, your best friend's wife to go to a local tattoo shop in Rivas where no white guys ever have gotten a tattoo. Oh my and God. there's you. You come back with two tattoos well, the, from it. Well, the, I mean, the story is we were walking around in Rivas and we were looking mm-hmm. for a tattoo places. I thought it would be a good idea and I thought there would be a great deal of pricing for mm-hmm. it being, you know, in a completely different country. So we couldn't really find a lot of people that spoke English and not any artwork. And then I remember her saying, my cousin has a hair salon and there's a guy that just moved in there who does tattoos. We should go check it out. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound sketchy at all. <laughs> you know, a small room at the back of a hair salon. That is by Nicaragua to a T. Exactly. So I'm like, all right, like, sure, let's just check this out. This is not like a movie. It doesn't sound like I'm going to go in this back room and he's going to be cutting us up and shopping our organs. Right. So we go to the shop and of course, nobody speaks English there. And then we go to the back, and this guy is this guy from California who does speak English. And so we talk shop a little bit, and I was like, I'd like these ideas. And he's like, yeah, sure, cool, I'll draw it up, and we can do it tomorrow. And I'm like, wait, you can't, you can't, we can't do it today. We were in town. And he goes, no. And so I remember looking at you and going, dude, can we come back? And you go, no, 
I have to teach English. I yeah, have to I work. Had class the next. You day. had class, so we um we couldn't. And I'm like, well, what are my options here? And we set up a time. And he goes, well, what we can do is I can write a note, pin it to your shirt, saying, "Don't kill me. I don't speak the language." And you can ride three bus transfers <laughs> for three hours to get to this to Rivas from Inotepe. Yeah. You can do it yourself, and then Steph will meet you at the pickup if you survive. Yeah. It was kind of like that was the setup where you get to do this all by yourself, and if you survive. Your presence and your reward is tattoos <laughs> and a bus trip back with um, my future wife. The funny thing is that that is that sounds totally embellished and to a tiny extent it is, but not that much. It literally was. I gave him a handwritten note that said, like, in case of emergency, this is what you have to give someone that will be give it to a taxi driver to get you back to your yeah. place. Like, so we had, like, the emergency plan. But it really was. It was like, take this, yeah. get on this bus. Stephanie will be at the other end. Just don't get off for these next 17 stops. Get off of the one where they say Rivas Oriental. And, and you're like, I'm never going to remember how to say that. Yeah. I can't even hear what they're saying. And I'm like, just do it. It'll all work out. I just I just remember the transfer. I remember the transfer. The transfer was huge because there was one where I had to get off and I had to get on the right bus to take me to the right place. And if I didn't, I would end up in a completely different place. A totally different it was city. risky. And yeah. I remember I sat back and I went over across the street and I, I used some uh, Cordoba to get a, a bag of freaking Coke, which was awesome. I was like, I have to have this. So, like, I just had this bag. They slammed a straw in it, and they're like, here we go. It's, and I, it's so what they do is they take like a zip ziploc baggie, basically, and they pour the Coke into that and just put a straw into it because then they they can recycle the can and get you know a half a penny back. But of if course, they do that a thousand times. You know, yeah, exactly. That, that adds up. That's so. how they make their money. So you walk around, bag. I sat there. I, I sat there and was drinking. And I was like, I really hope this next bus is the one to get on. And I got on it, and I was like, I kept asking. I, I remember. I don't even know what it is now, but I had it. I had it rolling in my head. Say these words. These words will take you. So when the bus came, I kept asking people around me, like, "Is this the one?" And I kept saying what you told me. They're like, "Yeah, yeah, see, see." <laughs> and so then I jumped on, and I ended up on the other side, being safe. So we walked to the shop and uh, got the tattoo. Sat there for five and a half hours straight. One shin. Then I, I he like took a ten minute smoke break. Came back and nailed out the other shin. Wrapped him up in styro- uh, like cellophane and headed on back. Ran wrapped it. Yeah, ran wrapped it. Get back on a couple more buses. <laughs> exactly. And this point, because it gets dark there between six and six thirty the entire year because they're so much closer down to like the equator. And so by the time you, you wrapped up, you're coming home. It's dusk. A dude that doesn't speak any Spanish does not want to get lost in some of those more rural places like, no. like that. And I remember we had to wait a little bit because of the bus. So we went back to her grandpa's place or something like mm-hmm. that. And there was a TV with seven Sony PlayStation 1s and like an Xbox. And I'm like, why do they have so many? And I guess they like the, there's not a lot of places to get them. They buy them, they fix them up, and then they sell them. So I actually tried to play a video game and had to pick which one worked. I just remember this. And I'm like... I'm meeting her family a little bit. I'm like, hi, I'm the friend. It was funny. And then we drove back and got back. And it was super late. And I remember that. I also remember with those tattoos, having it be where because I didn't have a, I didn't have a mosquito net. Like I didn't know I was supposed to bring one. So everybody in there is in and I'm getting bit up the entire time while I'm there. So I come back with fresh bloody tattoos. And what do you think all the critters are doing? They're like, <laughs> yum, yum in my tum tum. So I remember waking up in the morning with like spider bites and you telling me those are poisonous. You got to squeeze out the venom. And I squeezed out the venom and I have holes where the ink was because with the venom or the poison or whatever Mm -hmm. there was ink so when everybody goes hey why does it look like yeah i got bit by one of those while i was at the orphanage too where is it right there it filled up oh yeah it was a hole and then it 
ate away all the ink right there. So that's why... Those I, weird little spiders down there, that's the one, like, Nicaraguan thing, like, scorpions, spiders, bugs, ugh. They got some bad ones down there. I know, and that was... So it's a cool story when people say, are you going to get ever filled in? I'm like, no, the fact that it's proof that, like, I had to squeeze poison out of my leg so I didn't have to go to a Nicaraguan hospital and possibly die. <laughs> you better believe I'm going to keep that. That's super authentic. That's a story that you can't make up. And that's the type of stuff where, like, the cool thing for your trip down there with me was that you got to experience the local stuff, the going and sitting in a local family's living room with their seven PS1s. Yes. And, like, most, most travel is just shuffle everyone from this tourist trap to this tourist trap. The travel that's truly meaningful and inspiring to me is that travel where you go so far off the beaten path. You, you end up meeting a local... And just going and hanging out with them for the night sort of thing. You like, get super authentic. That's cool. That's what I'm talking about, too, is it's super authentic. I agree. I did bring the box wine over to us because I, I was running low and I thought... We needed a refill. Yeah, we definitely need a refill, so I filled you to the brim. I don't know if that's, like, the wine way to do it. I, I feel you're supposed to only fill it, like, a quarter. Yeah, what? like, this is definitely a heavy pour, Yeah, okay, they, call. they call it a heavy pour. But, uh... It's box top shelf Walmart wine, so I think it deserves a heavy pour. I don't so. think you can do a... A regular pour on a box wine. I think actually it's a heavy pour minimum. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised we're drinking out of glass. Like I want to let everybody know we're classy enough that we actually have wine glasses. We're not drinking out of a Yahtzee shaker. These are actually like real crystal glasses I know. too. Like oh, these are legit. I don't even remember how I have these. I don't either. Most of my other ones are like solo cups. But... Exactly. So I'm glad we're classing it up a little bit. So it's really cool. And now you live in Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City, Missouri. Missouri. You know we take. Uh, a lot of pride in, in that we're on the Missouri, Missouri side. side. It's more the hustling, you know. You're not the Johnson County folk down there south. Oh, see, I didn't even know there's a difference when we were talking. I remember when I first came down here, you were saying that there were sides. And I was like, wait, there's two Kansas cities. And you're like, yeah, there's the Missouri side, and then there's the Missouri. Kansas and the Missouri side, and then the Kansas <laughs> side. When did you move here? January 2014. 14. So, yeah, it's, God damn, it's already been four years. It has been. Time flies. It does. So while you were here is the conception of Mia. It was done in Kansas City, right? <laughs> um, Can you predate that? Do you know exactly when you put the seed in there? It was either in Germany, actually. What? Or possibly in Kansas City. It's, you know, it's we're going days, with Germany. So, we yeah. got to go with Germany. That's a way better story. So to... if that's the case, it was actually at Oktoberfest in Stuttgart, Germany. So that's what I'm talking about. I like that. So see, I wanted to make the conception memorable, right? Maybe I, not for her, but for me. I think so. that's the best way to do it. I agree. <laughs> so and now, how old is? I mean, she's close to two, right? Yep, two. The end of June. End of June. She's, Summer baby. Yeah, she's getting all feisty these days. Super feisty. Personality's coming through. She takes after her mom. Yeah, for sure she does. How has parenting been? Like, to the things we've done and the places we've been and just to think of you as a father now, I'm pretty sure people have those friends in their lives where they're like, never in a million years could I have pictured it. Like, obviously, when you were with Steph, like, I could see, like, a family, but, like, still, I think when it happens, it's a lot different. So how has it been for you? Um, surprisingly, it's been the easiest transition I've ever experienced from the, the moment that I saw that little girl for the first time. I loved being a dad. Um, I I still vividly remember the birth, and so 
Steph's pushing and the doctor rushes in because, you know, the nurse had said, all right, we're just going to give it like a test push here. And so Steph pushed the first time and she's like gowning up, gloving up. And she's like, all right, we're just going to give it another little second push. And so Steph pushes again. And the nurse like turns around and like Mia had already crowned a lot. And so she's like, okay, we're done with the testing now. Uh, Dr. <laughs> we need you in here like immediately. And so I'm like, at this point, I saw the top of Mia's head for the first time. Like I finally, it clicked. I'm going to have this tiny little human being that's part of me. And, and I just started bawling. I was oh. sobbing so hard. And the nurse is like, the whole day she's been freaking out about me passing out or whatever. And so she is like, Dad, Dad, are you, everything good? And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea why I'm crying like this right now. I'm good. I'm totally good now. And I'm just losing my shit. And then doctor comes in. She's like, all right, we're going to push again. Third push. Mia comes out. And I'm just a fucking mess. I'm a puddle at this point. And I don't know why, but as she's, like, coming out and her hair was all, like, slicked back from all the fluids and whatnot, I'm just like, oh, my God, she looks like Gollum. And you did not say that. I did, dude. You can ask Steph. And the, the doctor was like, what did you just say? And I was like, well, maybe, like, a really, really cute Gollum. And so <laughs> the whole 72 hours that we're in the hospital, every nurse that walks into the room, which is like every hour, is like, hey, Dad, how is baby Gollum doing? So, I, dude, I was known as like baby Gollum's dad for that entire stay because of that. It was ridiculous. But I didn't know what, I mean, dude, every emotion I've ever felt in my entire life, I felt at the exact same time in that moment seeing her for the first time. It was like... Every, like, fear I have of being a parent, all the excitement, the joy, the sadness, like, everything. It's it's not even something that I can quite put into words. It's just beautiful. And then as you go along this journey with that child, like, of course you're going to have the moments where they're crying and crying and crying or they're throwing a tantrum and you're tired and you're just exhausted and you're pissed at them. But all those moments are so much paid, paid for by the good that... The, first time that they finger paint and you see them just like putting the, the paint between their fingers and experiencing that for the first time and I sit there in awe as I'm like to me that's literally nothing it's something I've done a million times but for her that's the first time she's ever done that before and that's so for her with these very limited moments that she's had that's a life-changing moment like it's doing something for the very first time and I got to be a part of that I got to witness that that's crazy it's cool. That's kind of why I feel the same thing about your trip to come visit me. I got to be the first person to experience your out out of the U.S. trip. So to experience like your entire world, other than what you've seen or read about, is all America. And for the first time, you saw with um, your own eyes that, hey, there's this other part of the world out here. Oh, when I went to Nicaragua? Yeah. yeah. And I got to share that all with you. So it's the same thing with like the baby stuff you saw Oh, like when I met you at the airport and I just said you looked haggard. That was the first thing I said to you. I was like super nice. I was just like, I've been through a long trip to get to Nicaragua and I come out, I'm freaking out. I just don't know what to do next. I look at you and I'm like, God, you look so haggard because you like that you don't eat the same there and you were like running around the hot sun. Like, you're well, just... and I had lost 32 pounds at that point. Yeah. Why did you lose 32 pounds? Was there anything that happened that caused that or? Uh, it was just the diet change, okay. like from what we eat here to what I was eating down there. And we ate everything that the kids ate. And 
so at the yeah, end I remember of the, that. So we would eat with a certain house. So my house of boys, we'd get a couple of tubs of rice and beans and tortillas and stuff usually, and then there's cheese sometimes, but they would ration it out. So rice and beans and a little bit of cheese. I wasn't eating pizzas and, you know, whatever from back home. And so it was that. And then the fact that I'm not going to eat more than what an orphan's going to eat. So if there were enough seconds, but only for like 50% of the people, I would never take seconds because I would want the kids to eat first. And so I was getting tiny rations and it was not very heavy in calories. So I went from 160 pounds to like 128 um, in three and a half months, I think. And uh, at that point, they, they sold this stuff at the store that was like like instant milk for kids, but it was like vitamin fortified and stuff. And so super calorie rich. And so I would drink that every morning because that's how I could get like a thousand calories with like a milk milkshake sort of thing. So then I kept on the weight and leveled out. Because I think I like kind of like had the conceptualizing of like that this was going to be different but then when i saw you it hit me like i'm like wow like you look completely different than last time i saw you so yeah it's it's a beautiful thing to experience something for the first time and to be the one to introduce it or to be a part of it it's kind of a cool unique connection you can have with somebody so i get that and i i think i love about fatherhood and motherhood and parenting is when you can be super honest and no judgment, no shame, but just unfiltered. Like, that's why I love Louis C.K., even though he's wrapped up into that controversy of his whole little Me Too thing. Unfortunately, that's he's an amazing artist. He's funny. He's great, but he did bad things, and that's unfortunate. He's going to obviously take the ridicule for that, but he's still, the, the things he said about parenting, I've never laughed so hard, and I totally get what he's saying. I've never been a parent, but I've been around parents. Mm-hmm. And when you can just unfilter, just say the things you want to say, where like I'm, I'm my my little kid's a f- asshole like I just I have a little asshole who's just all about themselves and it's just it's a way to think about it and not have it upset you but actually make you laugh through it because mm-hmm. parenting's not easy at all you know and I no, and that is the thing is you do need to find the humor even in the bad moments try to focus on the one thing that still is light lighthearted because at the end of the day it's easy for us to expect a child to just to get it because we're we're like this is so easy just eat the food you're crying saying that you're hungry and i'm giving you the food and then you won't eat it and so you get frustrated because you're like you're so dumb you little tiny human this is so easy but then you have to realize like their brains literally are developing so fast and fierce at that point but their capacity that they're at compared to us is so small of course that I would not expect somebody, you know, to come in and do the job that I do that I've been trained to do at the same level that I am if they've been in a totally different career field their entire life. Well, why would we expect that of these little kids? And so it's just trying to find, like, laugh at it, find, like, remind yourself, this isn't a big deal. She's just going through a little thing in this moment. In five minutes, she's going to be watching Coco and laughing. Oh, God, she, Mia loves Coco. That, yeah. I still can't believe I haven't seen it, but when you explained it, it made me want to watch it a lot more. It's so it's just like those little things I hear that made me crack up laughing. I remember when we we were talking and you were beginning parenting, like the things you would say were so raw and just unfiltered that I cried laughing. And I was like, that's the stuff that I think 
um, should be out there because it brings levity to the stress of parenting. And I know a lot of parents have these feelings and they feel like they're the only ones and they judge themselves and shame themselves that I have a feeling that I want to catapult macaroni and cheese into my goddamn daughter's mouth because she won't open it. And it's like, you feel like you're the only one. And then somebody else says, you're like, Oh my God, you feel that way too. And you get that you're not the only one. And you feel some sort of strength in that knowing that you can get through this cause you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, together you can like really get through it. You know, that's why you have a parenting group, right? You're part of, like, a dad's group, right? Yeah, I'm part of, like, a group on Facebook where dads just post and can respond to each other. Um, the one that I'm a part of that's way more helpful is I'm part part of a mom's group. And I think I'm the only man that's in this group. But the dads, a lot of times, unfortunately, they're talking about what is it like getting a divorce and then sharing time and custody with your kids and it's a little bit more like what happens after the marriage is not good. Where the moms group, because women are still the predominant care, caretakers um, with that sort of stuff, they're the ones that are posting like, hey, my kid's got this rash. You know, is this A, B, or C? That's the type of stuff that I want to know about. I'm not interested in the, hey, I'm going through divorce again. I want to know my daughter's coughing is at RSV or is that just another cold that she's getting or is that pneumonia? Because you do totally different things. I love that. I think that's great that you're part of that group. That's the same with me because it has nothing to do with gender, really. Yeah, it's mo- mainly moms, but it, the topics around it don't need to be specific to any gender or even energy level because it seems like it's more of a feminine energy in there. And that's just because it's more of a caring energy or the yin and yang energy, as a lot of people are moving to because we don't want to be gender specific of feminine makes you think female. But the the yin and energy that we all have inside of us is that caring loving energy and then there's the yang which is the more masculine vision uh, vision driven kind of thing so just seems like that group is different and the other one has a completely different energy field but i love the idea i think do you think we're moving into a stage of relationships and loving marriages that like don't have that stereotypical kind of relationship where the the woman's the caregiver and the man's the provider you know that old breadwinner kind of oh, feel yeah. like i think if we even look at 1950s 60s to now we're seeing now that women have just as much of a career as men men do and so we're 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 absolutely seeing a shift i think where we're not quite picking up the slack so to speak is on the men's side of it we need to pick up more of the nurturing for sure a part of this stuff there should be more than just me looking at getting into this mom's group because they want to know how to change the change a diaper as effectively as they can or they want to understand breastfeeding and nursing not because they're going to do it because by understanding it better they can understand what their wife's needs are and so I expect men to kind of pick it up a little bit and get us to the point where we look at this 50-50. We're both working professionals now and also parents. Well, that means we need to hold our 50% at home just as much as we do at work. Well, yeah, think about it. Um, I was actually thinking about this today as I was noticing that Mia was gravitating more when it comes to the nurturing side to the females that were there, like Eloette and Steph. And I was just thinking like how that predominantly will really affect her as she looks for affection from the feminine so that she'll only really connect with feminine and then maybe has a completely skewed view of what the masculine and maybe it's something that won't allow her to actually you know, find the man that she's looking for that could be more nurturing because she sees the masculine in a way that like, oh, daddy just goes to work, comes home, says he loves me, puts me to bed, but doesn't really show me much affection. So then that's what the that's what a male is supposed to look like. And that is where we're having these predominantly 
crazy situations where the masculine and feminine like aren't really honoring each other because I think in what you've said where we're shifting where the females are at it's a huge pendulum where you know women used to do all the predominantly like things in the house and all that and the men would come home and then now like women in the work world and now women are like stepping into their their yang energy which allows them to get shit done because they don't want to count on any man and that's understandable no woman needs no man no man needs no woman no non-binary human needs another binary human but as humans connection is everything you know Mm -hmm. it's it's how we grow we are nurtured and all of that so human connection is very important because nobody's got anywhere by themselves Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think with that pendulum swing, and I'd love to find it, find a way in the middle where, you know, the women can be in their yin energy and still be strong and still be confident. And the men can be in their yang energy and still be loving and nurturing. You know, it's just really shifting to that stage three masculine, you know, because you had that atypical man who was strong, didn't have feelings, can't do feelings, my arm's cut off, that's okay, we'll sew it, and I'm going to go to work still and provide. And then now you have stage two where the men have been castrated because the women are doing predominantly a lot of things in the work world, and the men are kind of just like in their in their yin energy, like not sure what to do, how to flex, how to be, so they just don't know what to do. And I'd like to see a blend of that to the stage three where we can have men who are very strong and vision-driven but then can step in and be nurturing and loving to provide. Mm-hmm. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think is still... I think as the concept of uh, being a stay-at-home dad becomes a thing, you can set up, com- you, you can get together a group of dads that all want a better tomorrow for our kids, whatever that may mean. And just because you don't have a nine-to-five job or where you're working for a company doesn't mean that you can't be working towards a cause. So whether it's nonprofits or something that's centered around children, I mean, there's plenty that you can do in that capacity. So. Yeah, I think it's interesting as uh, we see society shift in all different kinds of ways and how are we going to really inspire it to be coming from a loving place instead of a hateful place. And to see your family and how beautiful it is, it just reminded me of how much I want that, like, just love, mm-hmm. you know, um, in all families and in all lives. As Each person shares the toll and does it together as a beautiful dance together. You know, not one person has to do anything because they're this. It's what are you good at? What am I good at? What can we do together to share this raising of this child? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a beautiful thing. How are you doing on your wine? I'm good on the wine for now. I'm good on the wine for now. Uh, okay. Maybe you just woke up from her nap. Oh, we had nap time an hour. We might have to take a break. Are we good, you think? Yeah, we may just need to do an intermission, you know, for the classier things. Oh, like you know, an intermission? Okay. Rest, yeah, like... A little restroom break. Oh, yeah. All right, everybody who's listening, please uh, go powder your faces and uh, (laughs) take your little tinkles and winkles, and we will be back with you soon, possibly talking about something completely different. Otherwise, um, we will be back with part two of uh, the episode. Cue the classy music. Welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully the audio was okay. It was kind of tricky. Sharing one mic in his basement wasn't the best acoustics, but we did the best we could. Hopefully it was enjoyable, though. as my buddy Ryan, and there wasn't really much of a part two. We recorded a little bit after that, so I might put that on a further episode uh, down the road of the bonus footage of what else we talked about. But thanks again for listening. This has been Not Your Mom's Podcast. 
My name is Bob. I'm your host, a.k.a. Incredible Hulk, a.k.a. Mr. Incredible, a.k.a. Dr. Frankenstein's secret creation. Don't tell anyone. We'll see you next time. You can find me and reach me on many other social media platforms such as Twitter at the Nymp, T H E N Y M P, Instagram at Not Your Mama's Podcast, on Tumblr at Not Your Mama's Podcast, and you can send me an email at Not Your Mama's Podcast at Yahoo.com. Cue up the outro music. Bow, bow, bow. Man, bow, bow, bow. Man, bow, bow, bow. Man,